Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. My name is Matt Chittam, and in this podcast, we take you into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta next February. And in this episode, well, let me tell you what, this was a long time coming for a lot of people and for most of all, for Parker Stinson. This is a man who has run so very well for the vast majority of his life. He has really just just excelled at every stage in his career. But recently, the one thing that had eluded him was success in the marathon. And by success, I mean basically running to his fitness level. So this was his third marathon at Chicago one week ago. And in his previous marathon attempts, he'd gone out really strong, and had basically run the first half or so of those marathons, um, and one of them was significantly more than half, uh, at, at basically his fitness level, but wasn't able to finish out and close the deal. And in this marathon at Chicago, he finally got under that 211 barrier that he has been so open and honest about reaching for a couple of years now. And I know that as soon as he crossed that finish line, that I was going to be so excited to talk with him because this is a man who lives his life out loud, who is not afraid to share what he's thinking, what he's feeling, and what his goals are. And this episode was one of the most fun episodes I've ever done in either this podcast stream or in the Rambling Runner podcast stream, because this is a man who's worked so hard to get this result. And you could just tell the weight of the world that he was feeling has now been taking off of his shoulders. And it was just such a fun episode to record. Parker is a great guy and I couldn't be happier for him. Also shout out to our sponsor for this week, Inside Tracker. You'll hear more about them later, but suffice it to say, if you want to reach your goals, one of the best things to do is make sure that your nutrition is dialed in and that can be very individualistic and Inside Tracker helps you do just that. So, Without further ado, here is my conversation with Parker Stinson. Parker, welcome back to the show. I'm back. I'm a conquering, a conquering hero. <laughs> a conquering hero. And you want to know why? Second in his age group at Chicago. No, oh, not the stat about. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even win my age group. So maybe I'm not as much of a hero. A hero, uh, as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I always laugh at that. Like, I always wonder, like, is there like, is there like an age group thing where you like, you go on the podium, like 25 to 29, um, ages, Parker Stinson second. And you're like, wait, hold on. Wait, what are we doing? Man, that would have been, that would have, uh, that would have been something. <laughs> that would have been uh that would have that might have that might have rained on my parade a little bit i'm glad i'm very glad we didn't we didn't do that so <laughs> no i think i think it's funny because always like i always like looking at the the pro and elite cards where they have like the splits and everything after the fact and it's really it's the technology that all these races use just to condense the race into like this little short snippet of information which is actually really useful um, when you have all these, these split timers throughout the course and all that, with that said, it's always funny when you see the age group rankings for like, for the elites. Cause like, you don't even think like no one cares <laughs> what the age group is, but it was always so funny to actually see what that, what it looks like. No, you're right though. No, but like to the, to the masses, that's like, that's like what they, 
let's, that's what they train for, you know? So, uh, no, it's, it's really funny, um, for you to say that for sure. So I got, it's good. It's something, something to shoot for something to improve on next time. <laughs> there you go. This, this isn't the race, to the Olympic trials podcast. This is a race to number one in your age group podcast. That's right. That's right. And we'll do whatever it takes to, to we'll reach the top. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to talk to you, not only to hear about your race, and what you did since our last conversation early in September and just how everything has gone for you in the lead up and then execution of your race strategy. But just this race, generally speaking, is such a fun topic of conversation because shoot between 2.10.36 where Jacob Riley came in yep. and then just under 2.12, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Americans come in and that basically... 82nd window. So with that being said, let's just talk about the group, first of all. Sure. What was it like for you, you know, after the fact, seeing the stats, seeing how people came in, what was just your sense of accomplishment for the group in general, just knowing how well you know all of these people, you've seen them so many times, you've run with them at different races, including this one. Just what was your sense of after the fact of what this group accomplished um, as a group? Well, first, let me just go into before and during the race for a second, and then I'll get to that because I just want to track my thoughts how they happened. So before the race, um, I was super excited about our group, and I was like, this is awesome. It's looking really windy, but there's a lot of good guys. And I told anyone that I talked to, I was like, you know what? Because they're kind of like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I was like, dude, I... I want to break 211. If I'm the ninth American and I break 211, I really don't care. Like I showed up to Chicago to break this time and the more people that have good days just helps me. It's a it's a positive thing. So then let's tramp let's go into late in the race, okay? So we're at like mile 18 or mile 20 and there's there's like 14 guys still there and I will say as a competitor it was I had some some strange moments of thoughts in there where I was like, wow, I'm doing it. I'm doing what we wanted to do. This is such a special moment. But then it was it was such a weird mind thing because you're like, wow, I'm in this uncharted territory. I'm, I'm going to break 211, which is a huge mark. But then it's like, but I also feel like I'm barely about to win a US championship because there's like 12 people here. So it was weird because we were doing something so great, but there were so many people there. So once again, I just tried to bring it back to focus on me and what I'm trying to do. And I'm like, I'm, I'm stoked that so many people are having so many great days because that means I don't have to find a way to break 211 on my own, you know, in the last four miles. So that's kind of what was going on. And then, like you said, so I was kind of just more happy about myself and focused on myself. But then as a few hours went by, and I started to see all these like crazy stats from Let's Run or like from uh, Kevin Kevin Hansen and all this stuff. Um, man, I'm so proud to like have gotten to be a part of that with all those guys. And um, it was just so special. And it's been, it's just really cool. I mean, like I, the, my favorite stat that I saw was in the last 12 years, nine Americans have broken 212 at Chicago. And then today, and then that one race, uh, 10 did. So yeah, um, all the stats that came out after the fact have been really cool, uh, and really fun to see. Um, so yeah, it was, it was amazing. 
That was a great, great stat. And it was so emblematic of not only how wonderful that race was for so many people, but it was also like, I think we're going to look back on this, this one month period, both Chicago and then hopefully the same sort of thing happens for everyone who's running New York. Um, and if weather conditions you know, comply, there's no reason to think that the same sort of thing couldn't happen there um, in terms of people kind of rising up to the challenge. But, you know, there's, it's been a highly, you know, engaged topic of conversation of the women marathoners in America are really having a moment, which is fantastic. But how come the men haven't kind of done the same thing on mass? Right. And right. it's been like a hot topic of conversation for 18 months. And it wasn't that people were, you know, anti some of the elite men, but it was like, hey, you know, because it's not an either or situation. Like, you know, both happen at the same time. And it was like, hey, where is that big group of men? They're going to come up and do kind of similar what the women have done. And I think that while it didn't happen concurrently with the women, I mean, Chicago was it happened. It 100 percent happened. And now you have this huge swath of athletes that are all relatively equal in ability and fitness level. And it just sets up the stage for the Olympic trials in a way that I think everybody from a fan perspective was hoping would happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, um, I kind of had an epiphany about why I think this happened too. Um, I, I, I truly think, you know, I, I'm going to say some incorrect things here. So I hope people forgive me because I don't know all the stats, but I did want to bring up that, like, this is my third marathon. And, you know, I think we were so successful because you finally saw American men with a really great rabbit in a really good situation. And, then we performed where I don't think people realize that a lot of the times when us Americans get into these world marathon majors and these other situations, it's a really hard situation to be successful because they have rabbits for the top world, world-class guys. And then you're just kind of hoping that some group usually forms that works out. Um, and then I was, and you say, talked you know, about that a lot before Chicago last year. Yeah. That was a big topic for you of like where to place yourself. Right. And then the only thing is like, I'm not trying to take anything away from the women. And like I said, I, this could be incorrect. I don't know if all of these, if what I'm saying is true for all of the performances, but like, you know, you see at Chicago, these women, they, when the, the, the elite dis, American distance women, they're running with other men the entire race at a smooth pace and they're surrounded by people and they get to have a good group to run with. And, and we had that this time, but I think in the past, why there's been a lag is like, I think a lot of guys were really capable of it. Um, but they just weren't getting in the right situations. And, uh, and even like Chicago was really close to not being the right situation because I think if we hadn't had, um, the Hoka one, one NAZ elite, a rabbit, I think two guys would have broken two twelve, because what happened was he brought us along far enough to 16 miles or whatever. And then enough people were there and far enough along that you're like, okay, I'm willing to help now. I'm willing to do X and X, but I can tell you from my own, like what I went through in the race, um, I didn't feel very good at miles like four and five and eight. And so I imagine other people probably didn't either. And they wouldn't have been willing to contribute to the pace, I don't think. And then those people did later because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm at mile 18. I still feel good. Let's go. So I would say in defense of American men's distance running, I, I think the big reason this happened is I just think it's hard in a world marathon major for our pace group, you know, 
211 to 213 or whatever it is to like really get much support sometimes. And um, I think Chicago did an amazing job. And then I think people just realized like, oh my gosh, like I only thought I was in 213 shape, but here I am. So I'm going to just make the most of this day. And that's what they did. So. No, I think you're absolutely right when you talk about, um, you know, the power of running with groups and how useful they can be um, for basically anybody at any level. And which is funny because for you, running in a group is kind of counter to what you've done in the past. And you've talked on this podcast about how much you love to lead from the front and, you know, just kind of being someone who's kind of like, you don't like to be behind other people and you like to be leading a group or be leading just like, you know, your own, your own solo venture, if need be. So what was the race strategy coming into Chicago? Um, if you could just talk about that, because it seemed looking at your splits, that you had a very, very conscientious uh, strategy coming in. And how did that align with how your fitness looked? Yeah, so no, you're exactly right. Um, the race strategy for Chicago, or it was more just my next marathon started like the moment that I started being coached by Dathan and we executed it at Houston half our first race. And, um, I just have to, I had to start embracing, um, running with people and figuring out a way to beat people and being comfortable with that and not changing who I am, but, um, kind of playing that game a little bit more, you know, I can still be aggressive later in races if I want to, but I've got to learn to relax. And so, um, I started that process at, uh, Houston half and it went great. Um, and I was really, I was happy with that time, but I was actually more really excited about how I executed. And then, um, you know, the next big time that I was really happy about that would be the 20 K in this buildup. And I think I even talked about it in the interview. Um, you know, a lot of people might be, Oh, you know, he got third at the 20 K that's pretty good in a buildup, whatever. But what I was so excited about was, um, 20 K was like, man, like mile eight or nine into the race. Uh, everyone was there. Like I really wanted to get second or third, um, to get some points and some money on the U S uh, road circuit and everyone was there, but I handled it really well. Um, and then found a way to beat people at the end. And I was mostly ecstatic about that race because I knew what that meant for Chicago. I was like, I executed perfectly what I'm going to have to do at Chicago, like running with the group running, but running engaged for me. And, and kind of what that means is, um, what I changed was I need to still run engaged. And for me, that means run near the front of a group. Um, so at Chicago, the big strategy for me, something I noted, I only noted like three or four things in my strategy. And one of them was run the full 26.2 engaged mentally. And, and that was like, so I got out right away and I slotted in right behind the rabbits, like, you know, acting like I was Kipchoge or somebody like that. I was like, here are the two NAZ elite rabbits and I am right behind them. And then everyone else was behind me. And that's, even though the pace wasn't aggressive, my mindset was very focused. And that was the adjustment I made. Um, and it worked great. Uh, you know, I would especially say for a race like this or the Olympic trials coming up, uh, man, you know, when you get to 20 miles, 18 miles, 16 miles, whatever it is, everyone's hurting. But when you're sitting behind people in that pack, at least for me, and I look up and I see how good everyone looks, I don't, I don't want to, I don't really like seeing that. I want to just focus on myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so being at the front of the pack and having everyone sit behind me, um, you know, not everyone, you know, a few people in front of me, but being in that front allows me to be like, no, I feel good. And like, I'm, 
looking at the few people in front of me and I'm not even paying attention to the fact that there's like 12 people behind me. So that was the big strategy. Um, I knew I was ready to execute that based on uh, my year with Dathan, based on my races and the 20K especially. And yeah, that's what I just did. You know, I it was hard. That was the hardest part of the whole race, I would tell you, was um, riding out the highs and lows in that pack instead of kind of just like riding out the highs and lows by like kind of like running all out out in front you know um so i don't know if that answers your question but uh yeah so yeah i know it absolutely does and obviously you know running in a pack or running with a group um you know, being able to execute that kind of strategy is also dependent on not only your your race preferences um, that you've already identified, but also your racing history and how things have gone for you in the past. And, and it's so it's so funny to to see how um, how much it was known and recognized by other people. I think it was Noah Drotti who even who even tweeted about like I'm so happy for Parker. He obviously stuck to his race strategy. It was like it almost like your 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 penchant for wanting to really kind of um I, I know the exact phrasing of it, but basically like put your stamp on a race and just like go by how you feel kind of pre- your, your reputation kind of precedes you which can be difficult for a marathon because like who doesn't feel good at the beginning of a marathon exactly you know what i mean like you would you would assume that things would go well but even with that said you do identified earlier that you know mile four mile six so on that you weren't even feeling great at those instances, so what exactly were you feeling at that moment? And was it that you weren't feeling great or you weren't feeling as good as you had expected to feel at, at that time? Yeah, yeah. So just being honest, um, I guess it's just a matter of like your goals and relative mindset. So I, I'm, I was in, I'm in really good shape or I was in really good shape. And kind of for me, like the slowest that I was okay with running was about 210, 50 something, um, on to be a successful day, just everything in my training pointed that I was like probably in even better shape than that. And so I think why I really struggled at miles four and six was, um, you know, we were right under 211 pace, which was great, but I didn't feel like as good as I hoped. And in my mindset, I was like, Oh shit. Like we're barely on the slowest that I was kind of okay with running and I know we're going to have to pick it up at some point because we're going to fade a little bit when the, the rabbit rop drops off. So it was just kind of dealing with those thoughts where like, you know, maybe some other people that were in that group, they were like thinking they were in 212, 213 shape. So they're like, they're getting so much positive feedback and adrenaline because they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. I just went through 10K, 15K at 211 pace. I can't believe it. Well, I was having the opposite feedback. I was kind of like, um, I feel okay, but this is about as slow as I'm okay with running and I don't feel about as good as I thought I would. So those are kind of the negative things I was dealing with. Um, and I just kept trying to ride them out as good as I, as I could. And really just grateful that we had a big group because, um, I think those moments would have been really tough if it was all on me today to get it done. I, I, you know, there's no way I would have been able to run what I did on that day. Um, without, you know, not only the rabbits, but just, you know, guys like Gerald Mock and Jacob Riley and Andrew Bumbleo and, um, you know, just, and, and Noah Drotty, you know, everyone just contributed to the competitiveness and, um, and, and yeah. So now when you have those instances where things aren't going great, um, especially relative to what you hoped to feel or expected to feel, 
do you dissociate yourself from those feelings or do you kind of lean into them? Like, which is your, your, your default mode? I've done both. Um, I'm trying to think what I did. I would say in this race and in this marathon, I tried to bring it more back to, cause we had so far to go. And, and I, like I said, I knew I was in good shape. So it's like, this is silly that, you know, I shouldn't be feeling like this. So I just kind of brought it back to myself and things I could do. And a lot of that came back to, I had a little thing, um, a, a thing going and I kept saying stride, breathing bottles, stride, breathing bottles. And if I focus on a good stride, if I focus on good breathing and getting my bottles, focusing on those things is going to help me be successful. And if I do that, I, I would hope that I will feel better. And so I guess I, I don't think I leaned into it, but I didn't avoid it. It was more just like, well, what can I don't like how I'm feeling? What can I do to feel better? And I was like, well, make sure your strides good, make sure you're breathing good. And then, you know, that just kind of wrote out those, those bad moments. Um, and, and then good things just kind of started to happen. Um, and yeah, I just kind of kept focusing on that. And, um, maybe it sounds kind of cheesy, but at the end of the day, um, I couldn't focus on running super hard. Like you talked about, like, I mean, it was hard, but I wasn't just like, man, I'm redlining. Cause when you're redlining, it's really easy to, to focus because that's all you're doing. You're running all out here. I was uncomfortable, but I also wasn't crushing it because like you said, you know, it's mile five, you have a long ways to go. So I kind of needed to find something to focus on, um, besides kind of diving into the the pain zone. Cause it was way too early to do that. And when you say uncomfortable, are you talking about how your body was feeling or was it like a lung issue? Like you, you weren't like breathing heavy, were you? No, no. And I, I know I can actually tell you exactly. I can pinpoint it perfectly. So, um, actually it was one of those days where, um, my breathing and my upper body and like my heart rate were fought, like were incredible. Like I felt so easy and smooth and like, um, I felt like I was firing at a hundred percent. Uh, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you my, my there was something just qu- not quite right with my legs. Like they didn't, they didn't feel horrible, but they just like, didn't feel like they had, um, a ton of gears or like they, they felt a little flat. Um, and so that just made me a little nervous, you know, to be like at five miles in and kind of feeling a little heavy legged. Uh, I was just afraid of what that meant, you know, um, for later in the marathon, but I did feel, I felt really good, uh, in the breathing and, and, and the heart rate and all those sorts of things. So that, 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 that carried me through for sure. Turns out your body knew what it was doing because there was a lot of gas (laughs) left at the end because your, your last 5k split was your fastest 5k split, which is such a rapid departure from your previous (laughs) races. (laughs) <laughs> Say it for the people in the back. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I mean, even my last, all right, my last 10 K cause we went 15, 29 or 28 and then 15, 19. So no, I'm just so proud of that because I mean, I've been on multiple interviews saying that, look, my big goal is to break two eleven for sure. But my second goal was the 25 K already showed to me that like, I'm a sub two eleven talent and ability and you know, deserve to be in the conversation at the trials and all that nonsense from an ability standpoint. But what I was, but the big thing that I told everyone, I was like, but you know what, more important than breaking 211 and whatever is that I do it the right way. Like I've got to be somebody that's moving well at the end of the race 
and competing if I want to have a chance to make that team because it's going to, as we just saw this weekend, it's going to be so damn close between everyone. And you're not going to just out-fitness somebody, you know? It's like, I'm not going to just... I'm not going to be so much better than everyone else at the trials that I can just run away from everyone and just finish it out. And so while breaking 211 was amazing, the big, big goal that I had to do was like, I had to do it the right way. And that's why I just got everything from Chicago. I got the time I needed, but like you just said, man, I mean, my last 5k was my fastest and, you know, even a mile to go when Jake and, uh, Gerald pulled away from me, you know, those guys were rolling, but I didn't like, I ran a 501, I think last mile, which is technically dying a little bit, but we were into a headwind and then there's like a little hill you go up. So honestly, like I felt, I felt good and like, I was still moving well. Those guys were just moving better, but I felt like, Hey, I, I can be somebody that when, when I see those Olympic rains and a chance to make the team, you know, in four months, I'm going to be able to find something. I think, um, where, you know, a year ago I couldn't say that because I had never even, I, I was just surviving marathons. I wasn't really competing in them. So, Right. And this speaks to exactly what we discussed in our first conversation in this series was, you know, the difference between going into the Olympic trials as an experienced marathoner versus one who maybe isn't. And, you know, while your fitness level might be the same, having these experiences can allow you to to go into that race with so much confidence and not even in terms of preparation, but going into that final 10K, 5K, 1K. I mean, shoot, look at, you know, the last Boston Marathon in terms of like the last 100 meters of the race for the winner. Look at the last 100 meters of this race of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Right? I yep. mean, it was, you know, obviously you had to like, you catch it on a replay, but, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's the height of like, wow, this is amazing theater that you know, t- two hours of racing is coming down to one or two or five seconds, and I have to assume that for both the men and the women, the Olympic trials is going to be very, very similar. And when you think about that, you know, it must just it must just like get you excited, but also like wow, like one second here, one second there can be such a difference, and like it, it really can be just like such such an such an awe inspiring thing to get ready for a race that has so many variables that can come down to so little time. Oh yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. We talked about this at the beginning. It's the difference between this is exactly what we talked about. Exactly. And this is what I just proved in college. It took me a few years. I became a 1330 guy and then I wasn't running well at NCAAs because I kept chasing fitness. But at some point you have to shift from the fitness and embrace the tactics and find a way to win. And so here's a great example. You know, Lawrence Toronto is a 204 guy, 205 guy, but he said it best. He said at Chicago, the level of competition he was around at the end, he made multiple attempts to try to outfitness them towards the end of the race, and they did not work. And at some point, you're all too close, and you have to then shift and be like, well, I have to find a way to win. And that's the thing that, you know, I wasn't, I hadn't proven that I could run a 210 marathon or execute a marathon yet. And so I couldn't really shift to finding a way to win or, um, beat people in that race yet. And now that I did that, I'm just so excited for the trials because it's exactly what what we talked about, how my, um, career, my NCAA career unfolded. Um, and you have to make that step first. You have to get to that level, that fitness level where you can keep up with the race you're in and be involved with the big players before you can 
learn how to beat them. And so it just feels great to be around all those great athletes at Chicago and, um, just check that box off because now it's like, I don't need to chase fitness going into the trials being like, Oh, I got to be in this shape. Got to do this. Got to do that. I just need to make sure I'm doing the right training, being smart. And like you said, know that I can do that now and be thinking about how I'm going to find a way to beat people by five seconds or 10 seconds, like you said, instead. So it's just, it's a really exciting time. I'll tell you, Matt, because so much of the time you're chasing, can I get to that level? Can I get to that level? And once you're there, that's when it gets really fun. That's like the best. So. I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also, they have science-backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give Inside Tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? So use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 10% on Inside Tracker today. So what, what was your fitness like if you had to compare it to your, your previous two uh, marathons in terms of how fit you were on race day? Yeah, it's, it's really hard because I had a different coach and just a whole different training. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you don't have like the apples to apples comparisons from like a workout perspective or anything like that. No, but I, I mean, I think I was in sub two eleven shape last year for Chicago. I just didn't get it done and whatever. Um, and I would say I was in better shape this year. I um, I think sub 211 last year was possible, but I kind of needed more of a magical day to do it. Um, and I think I was in good enough shape. Well, as you, as we obviously saw, I still broke 211. Um, and I, I felt good, but like, I didn't feel like I did it the 25 K, you know, like that was like those days you dream of, they felt magical and, and Chicago, I felt good enough and enough things were going well for me and a, and a good enough group that I got the job done. Uh, but the difference would be like, I felt like, you know, I just kind of got the job done and still broke two eleven. where I would say my other two marathons, that was kind of like, you needed, um, just kind of like, a uh, a magical day for, for, for that to happen. So. Absolutely. All right. Completely random question. That's not really on the train that we're, we've been discussing here. Okay. But early in the race, were were you aware of where the women's leader was, Bridget Koske? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was aware because I was like, "Oh, sweet, we're gonna get some TV time uh, coming up here." But yeah, she was, <laughs> <laughs> dude. She was in front of us, um, uh, maybe till like four miles or something like that. I couldn't believe it. And you know, it's it's. I was aware, but I just tell you, this day was just so important for me. I was so focused on what I was doing. Like, same thing. People ask me all this stuff about, like, 
Galen and the drug stuff and Alberto and like, you know, Dathan Ritz and I was my coach, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, and then the women being in front of us, it's like, I notice all these scenes, but you know, I'm more like what I'm noticing is more like, oh man, like I need to feel better so I can go get my goal. And like, I need to do this and that. So, um, yeah, I noticed, I did not think at any moment, like she was going to get a world record or anything. I was just like, oh, like she's not really fast. Like probably just wants to get away from her competitors and then she'll just kind of settle in and do her thing. I, I never, I never thought she would still finish like four minutes behind us. That blows my mind. So, yeah, it was funny watching, like watching, uh, people like who are very well, you know, basically experts, like coaching experts or people who are like in running, like following it in real time, be like, Oh, this woman's definitely going to blow up. And it's like, no, nah, not really. She, she like, kicked butt the whole time. And it was just amazing. Cause you see like, Oh wow. Like she's with like, you know, a completely different group than not I mean, for her. I'm sure it was no big deal because, you know, she was probably focused on herself. I was so, I was wondering like, what your group might be talking about considering that like for you guys must've been like, what's going on over there? Like, this is not what I was expecting to see. I think, yeah. I just think like, I think at that point, cause it was so early, you're kind of more thinking like, okay, wh- where's my bottle going to be like at the first station. You're kind of like thinking about that kind of stuff. But I mean, no, we definitely noticed because like I said, you know, when we caught up to her, there's this awesome like lead vehicle that tells you your like projected pace and like the, um, the TV stuff's all there. I mean, it's, it was super noticeable for sure, but I was just like, I didn't think much of it, but yeah, I mean, Matt, to put it into perspective, I mean, she would have beaten me last year for sure at Chicago. Like she beat my time. So it's like, it's, it's crazy to think about, but once again, it's just, you just focus on yourself because if, if I had thought about that for more than a second, I probably would have been like, Dane, I, I stink. So I would have been like depressed <laughs> or something. <laughs> so, you know, you don't want, you don't want thoughts like that, but I mean, yeah, it was, it was crazy to see for sure. Yeah. And just, just to put a bow on that, you know, as you said that like last year, if she would have beaten you, she would have beaten you last year. If she ran her time this year and, and you know, just transported it back in time a year, she actually beat Mo Farah's 5k. Her her last 5K was faster than most final 5K. <laughs> That's I don't know what to say. Like I just I, yeah I, I don't. <laughs> I, well, I know we we started this podcast with like arbitrary metrics of like you being second in the age group. So I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish with <laughs> my last my last arbitrary metric being that one, which is like yeah is I don't think like, I want to come on here anymore. You're just trolling all my results now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um. So 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 with all that being said. You have obviously talked about how excited you were after this race and you had some some interesting interviews where like you were obviously like interesting that the word like it was fun to see you so excited with your result and with, you know, not only how well you did, but like friends of yours who ran well and just this overall exuberance around this race. And with that being said, what what's the, the time frame for you mentally, not just physically within your training, but mentally to, you know, to be happy about this race, celebrating this race, celebrating, which is, you know, something that you did that you've been working for so long to do and then making the transition to the next phase of your, you know, the next phase of your cycle of getting ready for Atlanta. What does that mental transition look like? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try to make this as quick as possible just because, but it's just such a big thing, but I guess what I'd start with saying is, um, it's hard to explain how big of a deal this, this result was for me. Um, it's way bigger than it's different than the 25 K, but it's way bigger. Um, 
I felt like how it's going to change me mentally is like, I'm already ready to go for the, I am so excited for the trials, but, but I'll explain why. Um, this whole buildup, uh, has been really, really difficult for me. As you know, we've been, we've been talking, I've been almost injured. I've been, um, just, I, I didn't, I couldn't really pour much passion into my training either because I've every marathon buildup. I've all my coaches and everyone have been like, you're in amazing shape. You're going to run 209. You're going to do this. And I do all, that's how a lot of my career has been. Um, and it just gets old. It gets old to be this person who, these people like believe in and are excited about and you don't get it done again. And I, I, I've had a great year, but I was really nervous about the marathon. And so I was just checking a lot of boxes, this thing. And I felt like it was just like a a lot of, I was just fear of failure most of the time. Like, am I going to make it to the start line and lose out on this opportunity? Then when I got to the start line, it's like, yeah, I'm in amazing shape, but like, you know, am I going to get it done? Um, and so I'm to, to, to get it done. Uh, I feel like I can now pour my heart into the training again and be excited about enjoy. Wow. The process more like, wow, great workout. Or I really felt good. Um, I'm excited for the trials. Like, man, I'm in great shape where, you know, it's, I don't mean it to sound sad, but honestly, just going into this whole Chicago, anytime I had a good workout or whatever, it was like, yeah, like, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to have a good race. It was just, it, it wasn't a very, um, happy place, you know? And that's just, that's why this result meant so much to me. Um, because I know now I can do it at the marathon and I'll have learned, I'll, I'll make mistakes still and I'll have to learn and I'll have tough times, but mentally I'm ready to shift to the Olympic trials and I'm ready for my next marathon because I didn't get to enjoy this process that much going into Chicago. Um, I knew that I was in sub two eleven shape. Dathan knew it. Um, people knew that I could be that guy and it really just felt like if I don't do it, I failed. And now having that off my, my plate, I'm just excited for the rest of my career and I'm excited for the training and I'm excited for the Olympic trials. Um, so mentally shifting, uh, I'm already there, you know, like I'm going to take the time and be smart cause it's all about momentum, but I'm, I, didn't get to enjoy this buildup and I'm really excited to enjoy the Olympic trials buildup. And if I crush a workout, I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to be like, I'm ready to go. And I, w- I want to make this team where I didn't feel that way going into the Chicago. I just kind of felt like, yeah, I don't know. It's sad, but I'm excited to have that done. And I, I think I'm going to be able to enjoy um, the rest of my career a lot more finally kind of checking this box off. So. Well, what you describe makes all the sense in the world. And and while you describe it as potentially people viewing it as sad because you're not embracing the moment and not embracing your fitness, which obviously was at a high level, I think it's just the natural response to, to where you were in your career. Like you said, you had these instances where your results didn't match your fitness. And if that happens enough times, how can you be excited about your fitness level if you're like, yeah, exactly. like, I've already been here before and it didn't work and I live a public life and people see it and people comment on it. And like whether that matters or not doesn't change the fact that you have your own expectations. And then you say to you, you must be saying to yourself like, all right, well, if I'm there fitness wise again and if I don't get there again, what does that mean? And what does yes. that mean for me? Yeah. Exactly, man. Exactly. So, um, I'm just so happy because I mean, I've, I've eventually 
gotten to this point at all, all my levels in my career, but you always wonder like, well, is this going to be the point that I can't get, get it to? But yeah, I mean, since I was 11, I, I've had a lot of growing pains, but I've always figured it out. And I'm just to run 210 and in the full marathon distance. Um, uh, it, it, sometimes I think it comes off as like, oh, this guy is like, oh, he's like, thinks he's just resting on his laurels now. But it's, it's, it's honestly the opposite. My, it's actually poured gasoline on my ambition because I, I don't feel like I have anything to prove anymore. Now at this point, it's just for me, like I'm excited, but I just had so much criticism about my career in the marathon and all these things I was doing that it was hard to enjoy anymore. Um, and then same thing, even like I break this American record in the 25 K and a lot of people are really nice, but a lot of people shit on it too. They're like, who cares? Like he still won't have what it takes to run the marathon. And it's like, it's just sad, you know? And so, um, I do plan on running faster than two ten fifty three, And I, I hope to do all these things. I'm only 27, but I just feel like I'm doing it all for me now. And, uh, I'm just really, I, I'm just really excited for, for the, for the trials, but just for the next few years. And like I said, I, I know there'll be some tough times too, but, uh, I've done it at every level now, man. I was really good when I was 11 years old, getting second at juniors. Then at high school, I did great college. I did great. And I feel like I had done well at the professional level, but to finally run 210 shows like, dude, I deserve to be a professional. I deserve the contracts that I have. And I deserve to keep doing it. I deserve to get another contract, you know? And so, um, it, I'm just really, I just really grateful that Dathan took me under his wing and, and that my sponsors sponsored me for as long as they did to keep giving me chances because, um, I think everyone would tell you that it was worth it now. (laughs) It's funny how you describe it because like, I'm, I'm trying to like envision it like literally in terms of like you know, like a picture in my mind. And like, I'm imagining like you, like walking through this tunnel that's continuously like getting smaller and smaller and and contracting and contracting. And then like, while by running this race, you've now like come out of the tunnel into like this expansive field. And all of a sudden it's like, you're, you're not different, but everything ahead of you, around you and like, that, that, that is no longer constrictive. And now it's just this full open field. And now again, like you haven't changed, but your perception and the forces around you feel like they have completely done a 180. Oh yeah. I mean, I was just so scared, like scared, scared to, like you said, I just didn't know what I was going to do. You know, if I couldn't, if I couldn't get it done again, because the training was great again, this and that. And it's just like, well, then what's wrong, you know? So I just didn't know what I was going to do. And just to finally do it, I just feel empowered and excited and a weight off my shoulders. Um, and I feel like I can make mistakes. I can make mistakes now and I can learn again. And I don't feel like I'm, here's what I'll say. I feel like I ran two ten fifty three in Chicago running on a, a, tiptoeing around eggshells the entire time that that's how I would describe it. And so I'm just excited to get to, I don't know. I'm just excited, man. And, um, I just think it's hard. It, there's very few people that there's a lot of people that are more talented than me and better than me, but there's a lot of, not very many people have been doing it at a high level for as long as I have. And I faced a lot of criticism, you know, um, anytime I was successful, it was one compliment and a lot of, negatives and it gets to you time and time again because you don't know like if you have what it takes when you get older and at the next level and so I'm just 
You know, I'm number 29 on the all-time list in the marathon for U.S. now. It's like I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Um, I'm just excited to keep getting better. And uh, it's just a po- – it's all positives. It's all positives. Like I don't – I hope it doesn't sound like a cocky thing at all. It's not that. Um, it's just I'm just happy. I'm just happy. So – no, man, you sound like someone who's like sitting at a blackjack table who just has house money sitting in front of him. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? I'm ready to roll, baby. You know what I mean? Like, this is, yeah, like it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I want to win. But the, the, the threat and, and negativity of expectation is now gone. And you can just you're you're ready to just like do your thing the way you know you want to do it, and then all these other factors have now just washed away. I mean, I've mixed I've mixed metaphors. Like a champion here. I missed like 25 yeah, different metaphors yeah. in the last five You're a minutes. legend. But, <laughs> but either way, like I, I, I totally understand what you're talking about because it makes all the sense in the world. And again, this is one of those experiences where your experience as a professional runner is not dissimilar than people experiencing this exact same thing in other areas of their life, which is why it's so relatable because we've all been there in one fashion, one, one way or another in terms of working so hard to get something and that is just is just outside of our reach. And if you just reach for it enough times and not get it, it's like, wait, what is the missing piece here? And then that's that feeling that can just dog you. And then when you get it, it's like, OK, there is no missing piece. Everything's good and I'm good. And let's just roll. Exactly. And you know, it's just feeling worthy and everyone can relate to that feeling worthy of like the kindness and the support and the stuff people have given you. And I'm a really like emotional, um, I'm very loyal and I'm very emotional to like the people that are on my side and you know, I'm learning to make it a good thing. But I think in a lot of my career, it's been something that has been a burden to me, you know, like when people invested a lot in me and cared about me, it made it hard for me um, to focus on myself and do what I needed to do because I felt like I was letting them down or not worthy of like their time and their, their kindness. And so that's another thing I'm just so proud of with Chicago is like, I was out there with Dathan. Dathan came out to Boulder to help train me. I lived with Dathan for the last two weeks before it. He drove me out there, putting all this effort into me. My whole family was out there. My wife, my best man from our wedding, so, I mean, it was about at my agent, um, everyone who's anyone is, was at Chicago, you know? So it was about as high pressure as it could be. And, you know, I got it done. And that's something that's been really hard for me my entire career. And, um, but, you know, if you want to be someone who gets paid to show up to things, if you want to be someone who's talked about, you have to be able to handle that. And, you know, a lot of people think they want to be that person. They want that attention, they whatever. But you know, the grass isn't always greener. There's a lot of, um, tough things that come with that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm really proud that I've, I've been able to, to deal with, um, the spotlight a bit better, um, this, this year than I've had in in the past. Well, congratulations, Parker. It really is exciting to see you do it and, and getting to know you over the past, you know, four or five months or so. And seeing you, you know, working through, it's not like this buildup was perfect. No, you, you fought through a lot of things. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of things. And it just proves again that things don't have to go perfectly well to reach new heights in your career. And I think it really does set, um, a, you know, it really does set the tone for what people are capable of doing 
you know, given the right amount of time and consistent effort. So let's just say, so last question before we get going, thanks again for, for taking the time to do this. How much attention are you going to pay to New York in a couple of weeks? Oh, a ton of attention. I mean, I, for, for a lot of reasons, you know, Jared Ward's running out there and he's a good friend of mine and Saucony athlete, but also, you know, uh, I, I want to see how he does, you know, I mean, the trials is so close. So I want to see, is this guy firing? Is this guy looking good? Is he ready to go? So I'll be paying attention to that. And then, you know, John Ranieri and see if some other people pop up. But another thing is, um, you know, Chicago's on my bucket list. Like I, or not, I'm sorry, not Chicago. New York is on my bucket list. I want to run there. Um, I've, I was out there last year, my wife ran the 5k and it was a perfect day to run for the marathon. And it's just like, it's the, it's a super bowl, man. I, I, I want, I want to be out there. Um, I just wanted to run fast before I ran at New York. So that's why I've kind of delayed it. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be paying attention because like, that's, that's my next step at some point. Like I want to run there and, um, yeah, that's the, the big apple is the place to be down the road for sure. All right. Parker, thank you so much for coming on. We'll reconnect uh, later in 2019 when you're you know, in full force getting ready for Atlanta. Again, congratulations. I know this was a long time coming. And not only was it a huge effort for you, but a huge weight off your shoulders. Again, thanks again. Thank you so much, Matt. Parker, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. I could not be happier for Parker. And so, so many of the athletes who ran at Chicago and, and while I'm happy for all of them, the relationship I've ever, I've been able to establish with Parker over the last few months has really made me so happy for him specifically because you get to see week in and week out exactly what's gone into this result for him. And I'm just so happy that he can now, you know, realistically in the truest sense of the word, run free from now till Atlanta and just let his fitness show and race with confidence because the monkey is, you know, officially off of his back, which is so funny to say, because this is a man who's accomplished so much in his running career. And it just goes to show you, even for the best runners in the world, there are different steps to be gained and different levels to get to. And you'd think someone like Parker Stinson wouldn't have a trouble with, you know, being confident on race day. And yet you heard it here. He was definitely, you know, had those negative thoughts that could pop up every now and then, which is, you know, not unusual for most runners out there. And it's so funny to hear someone like Parker express those so plainly and frankly, but again, because he's just, you know, he's a nine time all American and, and all of those things. And to hear him say that really strikes a chord. And I'm so happy and thankful that he was, you know, so willing to be open and honest on this show. So again, Parker, thank you so much. Thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. You go to insidetracker.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 15% on their plans and their services. And I'm so appreciative for them to be a partner in this endeavor. Thank you everybody for rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.